Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. All right, boys and girls, we have got an absolute treat for you this week. We are super excited to welcome Dr. Jen Fitt onto the School of Calisthenics podcast. She is a doctor of physical therapy, calisthenics battle of the bars, former champion five years ago. Um, and just absolute legend, Jacko. This, Tim, is what they call a humdinger. <laughs> I uh, like that word. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. It just literally popped into head. We talk about like three probably like big topics around, or maybe four. We talk like about pain, understanding that better. She has such a great insight and mindset um, around that and looking at areas of our body that we are neglecting that I just think really resonated with me and I'm sure will do with lots of you. We talked about mobility and, and how... Um, her approach to improving that and some of the things that affect that, like our breathing. Um, and so we talk about some of the, the rib mechanics important for um, good, efficient breathing and how that can affect everything that the body's doing. And then finish off with a little bit about the importance of feet and barefoot feet, barefoot life. We get to hear a few stories from Tim's scuba diving days. Yeah, I don't know. I went off and I just got excited about <laughs> sharing my experiences of these things. But most of all from this one, we chew through some of the stuff which really makes a difference to mobility. So if you are mm. struggling with mobility, this is jam-packed, full of, I'm going to say takeaway ideas, but it's more a philosophy to embrace of just go, don't like stop looking for one thing and embrace all of them and then start looking at how you're going to piece those in because that's what the body needs. And when you're finished, what you're going to start saying is things like, I need to go and have a quick chat with my fascia. Yeah. That's that's the takeaway message for me. So boys and girls, sit down and get ready for a humdinger of a podcast. Yeah, take a nice breath in, but laterally through the ribs, not in through the belly. That'll make sense later. And uh, get ready for this podcast. Hum-a-ding-a-ding-dong. Roll that jingle. Welcome, Dr. Jen Esker, to the School of Calisthenics podcast. Thanks for so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, uh, obviously, a, a doctor, a physical therapist, mobility expert, um, mm. looking to, you know, talking about improving that range of motion, improving mobility, and also, by the sounds of it, very passionate about helping people become pain-free. Yeah, uh, so just in case, you know, you've got a, a huge Instagram following as well. So I'm sure lots of people have come across you in the, in the great content that you've got out there as well as your own podcast. But for maybe the one person that's listening that hasn't come across Dr. Jen Fit on Instagram, uh, just give us a, a little bit of a background into into how you got to, to where you are today. Yeah, um, it was actually through calisthenics that I even started growing as social media. <laughs> I never intended to have a following, have a business, have anything. Um, and my name at first was Jen underscore ES underscore care, because that's how you phonetically say my name. <laughs> and it was only for friends and family, but I would post. Uh, and did I get it right? You did. You did. Yes. I usually say because I care, you know, S care. Like it. <laughs> uh, perfect. Um, but, you know, it was, I was a gymnast for nine years and I quit or retired when I was 16 and from there, I just always wanted to maintain that kind of strength. Um, and so I would still do like my pull-ups and leg lifts, and skin the cats and all of that kind of stuff, uh, like at the park outside on the bars. And, and I would start posting um, those kinds of things that I was doing on my social media. And then one day, 
Ken from Progressive Calisthenics reached out to me. And at the time, he was one of the biggest pages um, on social media for calisthenics. And I was like, oh my God, Ken just reached out to me. <laughs> and he invited me down to Venice Beach to work out with all the guys. And when I went down and met everyone, they were so incredibly nice. Like I, I swear everyone went like one by one and introduced themselves and it was so sweet. And it was just this incredible community of movers who were really open to continuing to help each other and like, you know, just play outside all day and yet give feedback and help each other grow and how could you get better? And it was a really cool community. So I was super inspired and just continued to go down with them. Eventually Ken asked me to compete and I was in grad school at the time and had zero interest. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know about this. Um, but I did, <laughs> and I competed in the World Calisthenics uh, Battle of the Bars and won the first women's competition, which was kind of cool back in the day. Hey, yeah. <laughs> and um, when, How long ago was that, sorry? Um, what sort of year would that have been? Five years ago, I believe. Yeah. I think four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was... And a lot of women were not in the scene yet. And so I got lucky to not have to compete against some of the really cool people that are in the scene now. <laughs> and yeah. I just stuck to like really more of my strength-based stuff. I wasn't as explosive as some of the other athletes because I was like, I'm in grad school. I don't want to get hurt. I'll just <laughs> do my press handstands and my flags and <laughs> stuff like that. But it was a really cool journey. And from there, Ken would post anyone in the calisthenic community. And so eventually I was just like, oh, okay. I just post handstands and what I do with my body and following started to grow. And then once I graduated physical therapy school, I really wanted people to know that, you know, I can help beyond just, hey, look at what I can do with my body, but I can actually possibly help you into yours. So I changed my name to Doc Gen Fit and I started educating, which was super scary at the time because I was a new grad <laughs> who felt yeah. like I had people who were following me who were my mentors and I didn't want to do anything stupid or say anything that was wrong. But I kind of just decided, you know, if I just start with the basics, majority of people following me don't know this stuff. And I can always learn, I can always grow, my mindset can change on things that I've posted. So why not just start with what I know? And so I did. And from there I grew way more than I ever had just posting calisthenic stuff. So it was really inspiring to see a new community of people who wanted to learn about their bodies. So it was exciting. Yeah. I think that's a really amazing sort of journey through to that now. And the content that you're putting out is so valuable to people because there's so many people struggling these days with pain. And, and that's when I kind of, we want to get into the mobility in a little bit of detail, but there'll be people here and there's people that I know in my family that are constantly struggling with pain. Just talk to us a little bit about that for anybody who's listening going, crack, I've got this shoulder problem or my back hurts or I can't, I've had this knee problem for years. Like as from a physical therapist perspective, what are we dealing with when we're talking about pain? Why does it occur and what's the root out of it? Yeah. I, that's everyone's number one question, right? I have this pain. What do I do about this pain? And I think we've been conditioned to believe that pain is a bad thing and we need to fear it and it's bad, where it's like, it's part of the human experience. Like we, the fact that you can feel pain is actually a really good thing because if you couldn't feel pain, 
that would be bad. We wouldn't have warning signs. We wouldn't have these signals that told us if we did need surgery, if we did need to look further, if we did need you know, to understand if pain was radiating from an organ, not just a muscle, a muscle thing. So I think it's really important that we start to shift our mindsets around pain and the fact that we now are studying way more and seeing that we cannot say that this causes this. Like we cannot distinctly say a structural issue causes this kind of pain. We can't say anterior pelvic tilt causes back pain. We can't say scoliosis causes back pain. We can't even say an MRI image of a herniated disc causes back pain because we know nowadays that we've studied these things and we see people who have these you know structural elements or herniated discs and have no pain so we can't say that this causes this anymore and i that hopefully would give freedom but i think that only provides more frustration because <laughs> then it's like well then where's my pain coming from how do i know what what do i do about it and i think what i hope people start to explore is that it's just your body's way of one it's your warning signal and two it's your body's way of saying hey something is being neglected and it might be physical it could be structurally related but it might also be are you increasing in your stress are you increasing in your activity like overloading your activity in a way that isn't you know the most optimal for your body and so you're loading and loading and loading a tissue over and over again and it just is getting to the point where it's like hey i need a break <laughs> or you need to change something else and do something a little bit different and it's if we started to listen to pain in that aspect and say what am i neglecting just like we yawn and i say i'm neglecting sleep or my stomach grumbles and i'm neglecting eating like if we started to look at pain in that aspect and say, hey, thanks for warning me. Thank you for this ability to feel. And so now I can start to say, okay, how can I start to increase my awareness of what I've been neglecting rather than find band-aids for covering up symptoms? Yeah, that's a great point and, and some really useful stuff within that for people. You're coming with this from a quite a, a unique perspective in that you are a doctor of physiotherapy and you've also a seasoned calis calisthenics athlete. <laughs> so talk to all the people out there that listen to our podcast about overloading tissue and we love calisthenics it's super addictive because it's fun and someone's coming into it and all of a sudden they are just like they're on their muscle-up journey or their human flag journey whatever it might be and they're now gone from no training to five days a week because they're just flipping having a great time and then the elbow starts hurting and the wrist starts hurting talk to us about what that what's happening physiologically around that stage around tissue loading and overload because it's, it's something which is i think one of the most important messages in having an enjoyable progressive calisthenics um let's call it journey over a period, extended period of time exactly um it is fun and the reality is like when you start learning something new it takes about like anywhere from three to four to six to eight weeks for a neurological adaptation to change within your body. So this all of a sudden increase of strength of like, oh, I can all, all of a sudden kind of get the idea of a flag, or I can all of a sudden start to get the idea of a muscle up. It's not necessarily that you gain strength within, you know, a month and a half or a month. It's that your, your body is now connecting the dots a little bit easier. And so that's why it's kind of easy in the very beginning to start to see these new patterns start to pick up really quickly. 
And so it does, it becomes super addicting. Like, oh my God, I just wanted to keep going and want to keep doing it. The reality is we also have to realize, can I even put my body in this range of motion passively? And if I'm putting my body in this range of motion actively and then hanging on it, like, is that going to be the best for my tissues? And ultimately, especially if we're saying like skin the cats or, you know, where your shoulders are really going into that hyperextension position, um, or even if we're, we are saying things like even just pull-ups and repetitive bending of the elbows, like how are your shoulders moving? How are your shoulder blades moving in order to help support these tissues where we're not just overloading one. And I think that's what's so important. Like we have to realize even when it comes to posture, what is the best posture? Well, technically there's not one best posture. The best posture is the next posture. It's variability. And if we start to you know, implement that into our practice more rather than I'm just going to work on flags and that's the only thing that I'm going to do. Well, if you're realizing what your shoulders are going into, how can I do things that get my shoulders to go into a different position? And how can I make sure that I'm actually able to even get that range of motion passively before I even then go and hang on a bar and try, especially like, you know, at the if you don't have stalder bars, you're doing it just on the poles, you know, at the beach or at the park. And that's where it can well, start. Or the to... lap dancing club. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did do it in clubs once I learned to flag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, you're really putting that shoulder at a, such a severe range of motion. So we just have to make sure we're not just doing that one thing over and over again. And we're actually prepping the joints to be able to tolerate that off of that surface, off of that bar, and just in space, can I even do it on my own before I then go and do it into a pole or stalder bars or anything like that? Jacka, can I ask one more question before we move on? I just want to move on to this topic. Just talk to us a little bit, Jen, around tendons and ligaments and connective tissue as well, because that's one thing where a lot of people will experience muscle soreness in the form of DOMS, and that kind of goes away after... 24, 48 hours, sometimes longer. But talk to us about that, that loading of tendons, fascial tissue, connective tissue, ligaments, and, and what the differences are. Because I think that's something that a lot of people forget about, and it's the bit which probably often causes most of the amount of problems. Yeah. So all tendons and all, all tissue respond to force. That is the, as Dr. Spina says, that's the language of the tissues. Um, and what that means is that we have to also be cognizant of the amount of force that we're putting into those various tendons. Um, you know, a tendon going from muscle onto bone is going to have a pull directly related to how much you're using that muscle. But also, can you extend that muscle? And I think we forget that the first load of tension on a tissue is actually a stretch. And people forget about that because it doesn't seem like a load. <laughs> it's just a stretch, but it is. And it's, so can you even get your, your range of motion into that opening, that full stretch, before you then are going to go and load it into a full compressive load? So it's just different types of stress onto that tendon particularly. And we need to make sure that it has both. It has that extensile tension and it can you could put load, especially 
say you're doing planges, anything like this, can I handle that kind of load on that tendon? And then can I over time start to progress it? And we need to think of tendons as muscles as well, because it's literally attached into the muscle. So just like you wouldn't just be like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym and all of a sudden deadlift 500 pounds. Well, have you even tried that? <laughs> you know, we would, we would start with an empty bar, then we'd start to progress it and load it. And it's the same thing if you're putting your body weight under these different tensions and different loads. We have to be smart about how we're progressing it. So start with stretching, make sure you can get into the range of motion passively, and then start with progressing in in the amount of body load that you're putting on that tendon and even if you're not feeling sore even if you're feeling like this isn't working go along with the process because it's going to be so much better and smarter for you at the end of the day um, and then ligaments like we have to realize that our ligaments are bone to bone so that's not even going from a muscle and you know our shoulder has a lot of these ligaments especially when we're talking about calisthenics and um, <clears throat> there are no ligaments that hold underneath the shoulder. And that's why people talk about the rotator cuff so much. It's these four muscles that kind of help to support and hold the head of that humerus up into that shoulder. And when we're thinking about, you know, what's happening on the underside, that's why we need this strength around the rotator cuff. But also we need that range of motion in the shoulder so that the ligaments aren't getting pulled in the front, in the back, on the top, and then the tendons that also come from that muscle and attach into. And I don't know if this is getting too clinical. I like we it. Just, Keep going. <laughs> we just need to be so super cognizant. Can I stretch it into the range of motion passively? And then can I activate it over time and progressively load my body onto it? So say we're talking about planches and we're talking about the tendon, you know, on that biceps tendon or even up here onto the shoulder. So can I passively get my elbow to the range that I want to? Because honestly, a lot of calisthenic people who do a lot of pull actually don't have full range of motion in the elbow. So now you have to be cognizant of that. Then can I not, rather than just saying, oh, let me just start working on planches and put my whole body into it, how can I support most of my body as I start to just start to teach my body how to lean forward? Then can I lift one leg and put a little bit more tension? Then can I maybe tuck my legs and put my whole body, but now it's in a little bit of a decreased long lever arm? And then start, you know, it's like if we get smart with our programming and we actually... I know it's so fun to play, but follow a program. There's so many amazing programs out there nowadays that I'm sure you guys probably have amazing <laughs> programs that people should be following. Like follow a program, trust the program, trust the progression and be smart with your body. Yeah, we, we've got a couple of shabby uh, programs. They're not shabby. They're not shabby. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm sure they're amazing. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, <laughs> and everyone should do them. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. And um, yeah, as, we, we're just, as we're starting to shift a little bit away, the conversations is starting to shift less about pain and more than into, uh, you're talking about like active and, and passive range of moving in towards that mobility stuff. There was just something on the, the pain side of things that I thought I'd seen. Uh, we did a podcast recently with uh, Dr. Cobb from Z Health. I don't know if you've come across him, but they, they shared some stuff on uh, this week, some research around um, like a poor night's sleep as well as um, like cognitive like stress and emotional stress 
increasing someone's pain so like the, whether they've got a little bit of a niggle bad night's sleep and it's all, like almost like automatically they're going to be starting to feel some of that first and um i think it's just to highlight i just wanted to bring it up as like highlighting to people that as you'd said that there's more to to pain than we necessarily think and that we have to start to think a little bit more holistically about everything that's impacting uh, on us when we're thinking about not just our pain when we're thinking about our training and how how much we're going to push ourselves that day that week that month um, i think that's just a yeah a good message so as you, have you you know you've talked there already a little bit about um about passive before then active just let's just wind back a step as we move into their mobility around and just go what what is what is mobility how would you um define it you know there's there's probably some relatively common things but there, there's a few things that um sometimes people there's some misconceptions so like what is mobility and then i'd also interested in what are the what are the common misconceptions around mobility that you see people falling into and you know they might resonate with there might be some listeners going oh but that's that's exactly what i thought it was i've i've, I've got i've got this wrong a little bit yeah so the most common thing is the difference between mobility and flexibility. So mobility is going, or flexibility, I should say, is going to be just that ability to get into passive range. So think of you're laying on the table and someone is just going to take your arm and pull it overhead. You are doing nothing. You are not helping. Your body is completely relaxed and you can get into whatever range that is for you. Same if you were just going to use gravity and just kind of relax, whatever that is, that's flexibility. So that's the ability the body's ability to get into a passive range of motion. Now, mobility is your body's ability to functionally control that range of motion. So that means I am standing, I'm using against gravity, and I'm going to lift my arm to its full capacity. So rather than just going into and slamming into a range of motion, I'm actually controlling that joint and going into that range of motion. And that is mobility. And then what would be, sorry, what would be um, some of the misconceptions you, you see people mm-hmm. having around, around what mobility is and also like the sort of misconceptions or common mistakes people make when they're, you know, when they, when they, when they have that realisation of like, oh, it actually might be my mobility or yeah. range of motion that's restricting my progression in whatever it is that they're doing. It might be affecting their pain or yeah. it's just affecting their like strength progressions. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes you see people make in early doors? So especially when it comes to mobility, I think the one thing that really gears people away from wanting to even do it is that it takes like an hour. And I would say it doesn't. It just takes consistency over time. And you have to be willing to see where your individual body is restricted in order to then learn where, okay, if I know I'm restricted to my upper back, I can do a couple things in the morning. It's not going to take more than two to three minutes. And then I can do a couple of those before I work out. And I can add in a little bit of shoulder stuff takes about five minutes before I go work out. And then I could do some stuff as my cool down. Like if we knew that we could sprinkle this into our day, then we can be way more effective to actually create long lasting change. But one, it doesn't have to be this complicated mobility routine that might look sexy, right, <laughs> for the Instagram, but it, it literally just needs to be for your body. Like what is based on what is restricted within your body, what is key in order to help improve and provide that range of motion. And that could be a simple exercise. Um, I think the other thing that gets people, there's an argument between passive and active, like Passive doesn't work, only active. And I'd say we need, it, it depends. 
And sometimes starting with both is okay. So especially when someone is new into this range of motion, your body isn't trusting it. That's where passive range of motion becomes so pertinent because it allows the body to say, oh, it's okay. Like I can hang out in this position. It's not so scary. It's not going to be so bad. And you can breathe into this for like one to two minutes. And then the active portion comes into your body's ability to learn how to control that range at that end range of motion. So I think it's actually more powerful when we combine the passive and active together rather than, you know, putting them apart from each other and actually learning how we can use these to grow together. And when we can do that, and when we get so specific, what does my individual body need? What are those exercises that I can sprinkle in throughout the day? And you maintain consistency with that, and I guarantee you're gonna have way more success. Yeah, I think it's funny how, as as humans, we always um, we always look at things in a way of like, is is which what like if there's two things to, to do, of, often like we think that we must have to choose one or one must be right and one must be wrong. Whereas as you, the, you as part of your answer there, you said it, it depends, mm-hmm. and uh, we we and uh, I think sometimes people find that frustrating because they want to know like, well, no, just tell me the answer, and, and we often say within you know whatever the questions are within training is like it depends because you know it depends on your body it depends on what you're trying to achieve and it depends on you know a whole number of different factors whatever it is to do with training so it's nice to hear that um that being echoed as well i think Jackie, I, on that one there's, there's, a, there's one bit around that round like this the scientific literature has kind of sold people down a little bit of a, a rabbit hole with it to be fair or, or, or blinker because they'll be like six weeks intervention of static stretching doesn't work and you're like well what else did you do because you, you can static stretch and you've put yourself in a range of movement that the brain is then like, okay, I'll give you some range, but now we're not stable there. So you can't keep that because it's not safe. So we wind it back. So people are now going to quote like, oh yeah, so um, static stretching decreases jump performance. You're like, well, yeah, it does. If you don't do anything else, potentially, how does that look in a whole program? So it's, yeah. it's always more complicated than what people will try and pull out of one scientific paper. Um, sorry, yeah, I just interrupted you. That's the trouble with research, right? Oh my yeah, God, no, no. That's, that's everything. And I, I was even talking with one of my professors from undergrad. He's a biomechanist and he's been writing studies since 2001. He's like, if we just look at one study, it's like putting a brick in a wall and being like, the wall's built. <laughs> like, you can't just always go based Finished. on one study. We have to go and like say, okay, how can all of these bricks kind of work together in order to give what we're looking at? And then on top of that, in order to even have a study, there's so many controlled factors that have to happen where sorry, we're humans. We don't work in a, in a test. We're yeah. not in a test tube. So we can look at studies to help us understand, but we also have to understand that the body is so individual. And that's why it's like, I love reading the research and understanding what's currently happening. And I love seeing what's actually working for the client and what's actually working for the patient. Cause that's going to be most powerful anyways. Yeah. And yeah. on that, I think what we'll th- find that often the, your, your practice, I've, I've found in my career from strength and condition, we've done a lot of work in Paralympic sport over the years. And it's that bit of where you are working on the forefront of what we currently know and understand and taking the scientific literature, testing it and adding to it. But then as a practitioner, you're in front of the research and the research, like I remember getting critique when I did my master's um, around foam rolling because it came out of like, we want to get into this in a bit, but Mike Clark and ASCM were like, we're using that and, and we kind of put it in and I was like seeing people benefit from using it. But then the academics were like, it's not, it's not peer reviewed. You can't prove to me that it works. It's, it's a, I even got told it was a placebo once. And then as now you go and search self myofascial release or foam rolling in, in PubMed, you're going to find a lot of papers telling you now because 
because it's now actually going, do you know what, this does work. And these are the benefits that we can see and we can test. So sorry, Jack, I've interrupted you twice now. I'm going to be quiet again. Stop talking. Yeah. No, no, it's good. Well, uh, you know, you just brought up one of my favourite, me and my dad's favourite subjects of the placebo. Somebody <laughs> saying it's a placebo, I also find extremely funny because a placebo is a well-researched, proven effect so it doesn't mean that you somebody shouldn't do it um i think just like one one thing that i think just come out of that when you're talking about some research around like humans as you say we're all different we've all got different stuff going on and the thing with scientific literature and research is we have to like to make it a like effectively like a fair test we've got to try and like control lots of different factors to hone in on one thing but then what this whole conversation about with mobility is going it's not one thing that's going to change it and therefore it's very difficult to 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 or you can or the research of one thing isolated can get interpreted very differently and actually might be one of those really good bricks or pieces of the puzzle but on its own it doesn't stand there Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's uh yeah the the food for thoughts for people that that are listening um and i think you know when it especially if we say how does this actually help in my body well, okay, one, if we, if we just look at it the way a baby develops, I think it's always so powerful to learn from because when a baby comes out when they're super healthy, their bellies are naturally growing up and down. You're not telling about a baby to belly breathe. You're not telling them to relax. They're just doing it. It's natural within their body. Where if we could do that as adults, relax the belly, actually use the rib cage and expand in the way rather than elevating it, we get the body to relax. So that's decreased tension, that's decreased inflammation, that's improvement in mobility without even having to do a bunch of passive and, and foam rolling and all of that kind of stuff. And then a baby doesn't learn to crawl and walk and pattern and squat until they can put their toes in their mouth. They're literally naturally just you know, gaining that range of motion before they even learn how to pattern within their body and gain strength. And it's the same thing. If we start to build upon these pillars within the body and we think, okay, how's my breath? Have I been, have I been sucking in my belly and pulling my shoulders down and back like we were told growing up? <laughs> or can I actually relax and expand from my rib cage again so that all these passive stretching, like, you know, how many times do people say I foam roll and I stretch and I can never touch my toes. You know, it's something that a lot of people struggle with because they're so locked up and their nervous system doesn't trust them. Mm. So if we can get the body to actually start to respond, then we can get that passive range. Then we can get that active range to actually do what we want functionally. And when we look at like just the breakdown of, you know, very generalized gray cook, uh, joint by joint method. We know that the neck should be more stable, upper back more mobile, low back more stable, hips more mobile, knees more stable, ankles more mobile, feet more stable, toes more mobile. And the places that people usually end up in pain more often is going to be the neck, the low back, the knees, and the feet. And that's the places of stability. So what do we do? We need more strength. We need core strength. We need to work on those knees. Rather than saying, well, what if we need to open up what's actually happening above and below? What if we actually needed more mobility at that upper back and that rib cage to help free up what's happening at that neck and at that low back? What if I could actually open up my hips to take pressure off of my knees? You know, and if we actually start to just come back and look at the body as a whole again, rather than just chasing the symptom, then we can really see how mobility would have such a strong benefit within the body even at that basic foundational level 
I love that. And there's, there's one thing that there's from seeing some of your work, Jen, and, and thinking about the questions that people ask us about, I've got a shoulder, I struggle to get my shoulders overhead for my handstand. What stretch should I do? It, it makes me look at how people who invest time in yoga, and we can probably put any kind of form of movement, which is multiplane and multidirectional, using different positions and, and using the whole body effectively. Do you think there's just, for, for a lot of people, the real crux of it, and going back to children as well, I've watched my three-year-old grow up, he just moves in lots of different ways all the time. And we stop doing that when we get into adulthood and we start doing certain forms of exercise which are only sagittal plane and we just don't move in ranges and all of a sudden we don't have those ranges anymore and we're like really pissed off about it and I'm like well let's just move in more ways more often and it doesn't always need to be a one rep max I just think there's so much value in people moving away from the idea of I've got to do a 200 kilo deadlift that's not the best thing for the majority of people you do some learn to cossack learn to get like into different lunge positions and what's your take on that because I think you've probably singing from the same hymn street. Um, hundred percent. I mean, exactly. Like I said, like toward the beginning, you know, variability is king. It's always going to be the number one thing that we need to go back to is how can we change it up more and how can we add more variety to our life? Um, and especially with the shoulder, if we're only looking at the shoulder, like we could be rounded in the upper back and being like, I can't get shoulder range of motion. The moment I even just stand up straighter, even if it's cheating through the low back, you'll notice that you get more shoulder range of motion. So maybe it's something through the spine. Maybe it's something through the rib cage. Maybe it's that you're not expanding from your rib cage. So your shoulder blades can't even have the range of motion to be able to get that upward rotation that is needed for that shoulder. You know, we, we look at the symptom but we don't look at the body as a whole. And even going back to needing more sleep, what are you putting in your body? How often are you drinking water? That plays a role into how I'm physically going to respond to things. So yeah, it's a whole body approach and it's a whole life approach. And a good therapist is actually looking at what are the stressors happening in your life? How often are these pains coming up? In what scenarios are those pains coming up? Because I've worked with clients where we've really linked it back to work specifically or to a specific stressor that's happening. Or I can't tell you how many times I've had a client who's like, oh, my nerve pain got like, it was almost gone when I was on vacation, went back to work on Monday and it, like, I could feel it again <laughs> a little bit. And I'm like, what do you think was different mm. there? <laughs> and you were drinking cocktails on holiday as well. So it was like, <laughs> so your body was dealing with some alcohol. Yeah. It's not even that. It's sitting down in front of a computer all day that's absolutely breaking you. <laughs> Exactly. I wanted to dive into a little bit of detail, Jen, because there's some uh, we use it a lot with uh, with some of our movement preparation work. So we would generally structure our training programs as let's move, let's prepare the body for the session ahead, and, and we'll make that specific based on whatever it is the training program is going to be focused on. And one of the, the tools that we use a lot is self myofascial release, or other people will know it as foam rolling, and, and we'll often use uh, massage balls and for, for the shoulder. We use it all the time. We often kind of talk quite top level in our, in our videos about what it's doing. But I've seen on your blog that you use this a lot, a number of different techniques. And I just thought people would really benefit from understanding a little bit more about the science behind it of what, it's, what is happening when we, when, we ro when we roll on a tissue um, and why we might want to do it or why it's effective. Yeah. So it's something that's still being studied. <laughs> we still don't know exactly everything. Uh, and we can still find you know, studies that confirm whatever bias that you have. Um, and to that, I say, if it's, if you're feeling good, good, continue to use it. But we can look at like a very neurological standpoint with it, where we, if, 
any touch that I do on my body, touch, pressure, vibration. So think of like the Theraguns and the hypervolts and the foam and the rollers that are vibrating, that's a vibration. Heat, so think of going and getting cupping um, or any kind of acupressure, anything like that. So touch, pressure, vibration, and heat these all respond to what are called mechanoreceptors underneath the skin. And those respond back to the brain to tell our body, oh, we can chill, we can relax. And so if we're actually responding and, and tapping into these mechanoreceptors, well, one, it could either tell it to relax or it can tell it to tense up more. And so that's why I like to say, it's like, we're, we know for a fact that we can't break up scar tissue. We know for a fact that we can't literally even break up fascia. Unless you're going into surgery and you're cutting the tissue, we are not manipulating the, the fascial tissue or the connective tissue or scar tissue to a level of breaking up. And so I think if we get out of that mindset, we'd know that we don't have to go so hard. The intention is to release tension, to release pressure. And because our fascia, which is our connective tissue that goes from the very top of that underneath the skin all the way through and into our, our muscles and around our nerves, and it just encapsulates everything, right? So it's almost like layered throughout our body. Then we know that there, there's fluids be, between even, every level. And if we can get fluids to move better, then we get fascia to glide better. And when we get fascia to glide better, we're going to get better mobility. And so it, you know, it's, it's something that can get the tissue to one, respond to stimulation. So it's not bad to do actually before you even work out and before you move that tissue, it helps to stimulate that area, helps to get fluids moving. And it can help to release tension by relaxing the tissue, not releasing the tissue. And I think if we start to look at it that way, we realize we don't have to hammer into anything. We don't have to rely on something to fix us. We're just, we're just using these tools in conjunction to helping the body start to learn how to move better and start to feel like it has better range of motion, better fluid movement. And we also have to know that this fluid movement doesn't last. So utilizing movement directly after you get things like kind of opened up and feeling better is so beneficial, especially if we're gonna get worked on from a therapist or a chiropractor, going and moving after doing your exercises can actually be super beneficial to helping what they actually stimulated within the tissue to create change. Um, or we could use it as a relaxing tool. So it's not bad to actually also lay on a ball and breathe into it and chill and tell your, your body and your muscle tension that it needed that time to relax. And that's okay too. Um, but I just, you know, I like to steer people away from that messaging that we're, we're breaking up scar tissue or breaking up fascia tissue. We're talking to fascia tissue. Fascial tissue is all our connect. It, it, it's our highway of, of interconnect, interconnection within our body. It's connecting everything and it's allowing things to move. So if we can just talk to it and help it along the way and stimulate it, then we get a lot better just range and freedom within our body. 
Yeah, that's great because we found that we by using that that self myofascial release um, or relaxation, maybe we should reterm it because it's maybe misleading. Um, but you actually <laughs> we actually talked about that, yeah, with yeah. Jill Miller because she's done a lot of work into this, and she was like, "Should we even be calling it this?" <laughs> yeah, but yeah, exactly. But that's one of the things that we really like about calisthenics is you get to with that sort of approach of you using something to prepare the body for the session, and then what's going to happen is going to get myself some more range of movement, and then I'm going to go and train in that position, which is going to create stability and strength which then the brain goes you know what you've completed the circle i can now keep some more of this range and i think your point around the fascia is really interesting because it's we know that like fascia is going to mold along the lines of stress so we get good at the things that we do a lot of so it's almost like rather than trying to break patterns we've just got to try and mobilize and then create new ones and the fascia in the body will then start to mold in line with the new patterns that we're moving and then create better and more optimal movement throughout that um, and shift some of the restrictions and the tightness that we're experiencing in those things that we just kind of junk out ourselves into when we're sitting at desks and in cars and that sort of thing yeah. all day so yeah the overall writing message coming through to me is just move more in different ways move well and you can use these little tools if you want to which are going to help but use a number of them and that's going to help us to get a nice plethora of positive i love this idea of talking to the fascia i'm going to start tim what you're doing today in your training i'm going to talk to my fascia we're going to have a little we're going to a little powwow a little <laughs> chat about what i need you to do and then i'm going to go and do something cool that's that's me that's my training i like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to. I just want to pick up on um, something that you've, you've mentioned a couple of times, and you've you've talked about there in terms of like relaxation. But you've you've mentioned breath um, a couple of times, and we, we've have been fascinated by it recently. We've had a, a number of different guests on. We had like Patrick McKeon from the author of Oxygen Advantage and the difference of like nasal breathing. But you're now you're talking a little bit more about, um, or so far you were talking about some of the breathing mechanics and the rib mechanics and how we should actually be the difference between like not just the difference between upper chest breathing and belly breathing as someone might call it of going like what are the ribs actually supposed to do what how do we make that how do we make that happen what's the right sort of feeling um a, a friend of mine that's a physio or a friend of ours that's a physio at british athletics put me onto someone um dana santas mm. um have you come across her but she was talking about the same breathing mechanics of like those low ribs that expanded laterally just talks a little bit more about that because some people if they're anything like i was you sort of you can go through life um having no you know breathing Apparently, um, we can breathe twenty five thousand times a day, or there or thereabouts, and not every, not a single one of those potentially could be correct. Yeah. And it's so there in the background, so much. Um, there's obviously a lot related to that, like parasympathetic response to to help with that relaxation. Just give people a little bit more um, detail on that and how impactful that that could be. Oh my goodness, that's. Um... Yeah, I love going into breath. It's like one of my favorite things to dive into, especially with clients. It's always the baseline of everything. Um, I've been doing it all day. <laughs> I, I hope we all have. <laughs> Apart from when I'm doing my breath holds. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so breathing. Uh, when Traditionally speaking, when someone says take a deep breath, what happens is that we raise the shoulders, we breathe into the chest, and we only focus on this lovely inhale. And then we just uh, relax on the exhale. And that's typical as to what's happened. Um, but I, what we're learning and we're realizing is that if we relate breath into different responses within the body, we can see how they're correlated. So say someone scares you, what happens? You take a breath in, <gasps> your shoulders rise to your ears, everything gets really tense and tight in your body and you hold 
And that is that sympathetic inhalation state. Yeah. We're, we're preparing for like danger or exactly. contact or anything. Yeah. Exactly. So now if I'm only focusing on an inhale or I'm only using my chest or I'm guiding my, my rib cage up vertically, shoulders rising to my ears, then I'm kind of always telling my brain, be ready, be ready for something dangerous happening. And that's, again, where people go into more of a stress response within the body, more cortisol is going to be released, more tension, more inflammation, more tightness. Um, people know that as like fight or flight, mm -hmm. right? And then yeah. if we, but that could be just like a resting state within your body. And that's yeah. where inflammation levels, when we talk, inflammation isn't bad. It's bad when it becomes chronic, right? It's bad when it becomes something that we don't know how to get rid of within our body. And that also relates to not only movement and breath, but sleep and foods that we're putting in, water, stress levels, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then if we look at the other side of the, of the breath cycle, which is the exhalation. So now we think of like being at a spa and getting a massage and it's like, ah, <laughs> It's a nice, relaxed, like I'm melting into the table. And that is, so if we just think of it in the simplest of terms, if I just were to shorten the inhale and extend my exhale, I'm all of a sudden starting to turn on my off switch, which is my parasympathetic. My off switch is that relaxation stage. So if I can do that while I'm doing passive stretches, then I'm way more able to tap into my brain actually connecting to my body in terms of what it's doing. I'm may, way more able to release the tension and the tightness, the inflammation that could be happening around the tissue and help my body ease into that range of motion. Then I can obviously add the stability, the active portion and the control within that range of motion. But if my body is not used to going into a new range, really focusing on slower inhale or shorter inhales, longer exhales is automatically going to help to shift things. Um, and then I like to, I, I have way moved away from like, oh, hand on the chest, hand on the belly, because I realized that I was getting clients that were coming in and were like, I've been working on my belly breathing and their belly is like the only thing that's going in and out. And I'm like, oh, we're kind of missing the point here. <laughs> the point yeah. is that the rib cage should be relaxed. And if you're forcing your belly in and out, you're actually not relaxed in your body at all. So what I actually like to do is either wrapping a towel, a TheraBand, or even just putting hands on the low rib cage. And so you could provide feedback for the body as well. And so if I can squeeze my rib cage just a little bit and then take a slow inhale and feel it expand to the sides and then an even slower exhale and feel it melt together, then I know where I'm kind of pushing into my body. And maybe one side moves and the other side doesn't move. So you kind of get it to know your body in that way as well. And when we give it that little squeeze, it's almost like a PNF type of stretch where we kind of get this reaction in the body to push against it. So if I squeeze in right before I inhale, then it's my body's response to push into that rib cage and expand laterally rather than expanding vertically. And yes, yeah. it's going to... I think that's a big difference, sorry, that like yeah. you hear a lot of like belly breathing, talking, as you said, that hand on the chest, one on the belly, make sure the belly's moving rather than the, um, rather than the chest. And yes, that will stop you doing like upper chest like breathing, but it's not necessarily teaching us the correct rib mechanics to help the, and, and, and what the diaphragm is trying to do if, to be a, effectively and efficient with our breathing. And I think that that's a, yeah, that's a huge one that um, there's still a lot of misconceptions out there because 
I've been on a bit of a journey with this myself and going like realizing going oh cracky I am a I'm a mouth not a not a nasal breather and it's all upper chest and then the reasons for that and then going right belly and then just and then someone talk and then you know talking about the same thing going actually we're supposed to be reading letter and going crikey after that and then just you know you but yeah. it's not something you feel like why has this not been highlighted to me is this is it relatively new or has it always been there is it a where are all the misconceptions and, and sort of, I guess, uh, almost that like incorrect cueing? Where, mm-hmm. how long is that? Where's that come from? Do you know, or, or why is it so misunderstood? I think it's just something that we've continued. We're continuing to learn. We're continuing to grow into. You know, and I don't think it's a it's a bad thing. It's just something that we're learning. Yeah. We we did a, well, an it. interview a while ago um, with uh, Dr. Morgay, not Dr. Gay, who's a food futurologist. But she she said something at the time which was made me really think. Around she's like we're caveman cavemen in a space age world, and it's I think it's this thing of like the, how our lives have changed and become so busy and stressed and full of threat in many different forms that we've just losing we're, like we're on survival mode all the time. Mm-hmm. And like you say, you go on holiday and unwind, and you know, everything just feels better when I'm on holiday. Okay, well. Let's, yeah, we need more holidays, but we need more less stress <laughs> as well. Like, let's just not ram ourselves full of threat all the time. And, and maybe we'll probably actually generally function in so many ways better. Pain exactly. goes away and we move better and we just generally appreciate life more. It's a fluffy Which note. Which is why you can look at like the blue zones and people who are going out mm. gardening and doing their own food and actively moving without really getting concrete exercise in and having community and having all these mm. things. Uh, of course, they're feeling better. They're living longer. <laughs> yeah. Great yeah. crossover, the functional health kind of me- uh, message as well. Let's just finish off one last question, Jen. Um, we got connected by the great guys at Vivo Barefoot, and they put us in touch together. So Jack and I are sort of all on board with the barefoot lifestyle. And um, like we, I've generally, I'm the sort of person on holiday who would just, wherever possible in the summer, oh, crack it, I'm standing. <laughs> There you go. We're just, we're all, uh, <laughs> for, for, for people are just, this is just an audio experience, but everyone is lifting their legs up and showing their, my your, your toes, Gemma, are considerably more spread than mine. I've still got some way <laughs> to go. But um, I'm working on it. But yeah, we've just, uh, we, we've, we've, we've been do, doing some work with, with Vivo and just absolutely like enjoying learning more about the barefoot lifestyle and, and I've, I was used to work as a scuba diving instructor so I spent about three years without any shoes on which was brilliant um, and my wife is South African and she didn't wear shoes in, in South Africa until she went to high school so they grew up until they're 12 years old and they there's boys playing rugby with no shoes on um, when they're seven eight nine ten years old I just, I just think we've just missed in the west a little bit um, about that whole message what is your kind of take on the importance of barefoot lifestyle Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful that I grew up as a gymnast. I mean, you walked everywhere barefoot. Mm. You, you ran around the gym. You had to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom barefoot and then come back out. Like we didn't, I didn't live in shoes. (laughs) So I'm very grateful that I had that experience first of all. Um, and second of all, I mean, we just see the shape of the shoe and what it's actually doing to the foot. And Mm. especially I remember going to, um, Hawaii and getting led through this incredible waterfall by a local and his feet were like hands like how they grip the rocks and how he could move so it's easily freaky, barefoot. Right, when yeah, that. it was amazing though and if I when I went to Brazil and we did a hike and these guys are in these sandals that don't really even fit their feet but their feet are just like and in this hike up this 
huge mountain, we're like wearing hiking shoes and <laughs> they're in like yeah. little sandals and their feet can do anything. And it is, it's just amazing how we've been conditioned in this Western world really to not use our feet to rely on external things like, oh, now your foot's hurting. Let's put more in the shoe. Let's add in, let's change mm -hmm. the external rather than at all teaching you how to support the internal. And that's what I always well, I mean, say. You talked about kids. So you talked about kids like babies before and you go, how, how early do we get them? Like, right, get them in these. I've heard people talk about like shoes as coffins, like mm -hmm. how early we get them in that. Whereas when, when I think of, I haven't got any children, but some of my niece and nephews, when I see them and you see the like, you see their, their feet and their hands and you're like, they're nearly the, I know they're not the same, but they're almost nearly the same. And the way they like grab things with their toes and grip, it is, it is phenomenal. You can, yeah. And it is, we just condition ourselves, as you say, not to, I mean, I think I played um, professional rugby for 13 years where um, you're basically wearing a football boot, which traditionally is pretty narrow. And my little toe is almost like obsolete. You may as well get rid of it. He's like, he can't, it's just part of the other toe, but just doing his, he's just, he is literally, doesn't have his own program. Mm -hmm. He is like, I am on just whatever that guy's doing. <laughs> like they're basically splintered together. So it's, I've, there is change. I've made some change, but it's, um, I guess when you've spent 38 years yeah. or however old I am with not using something. Mm -hmm. And then some of it's just like that, that, like you said, that brain connection, but it's mad at how, I don't know. I yeah. guess almost like mad about how bad something or poorly you can move something until you think and go. Someone goes, "Can you do this with your little toe?" And you're like, "No." I feel like I should <laughs> yeah. do. But yeah. My little toe doesn't feel like it's even mine. I mean, whose is, who's is that little toe? Have and I that's, got ten? That's the problem with like most people and their feet, right? There's so much disconnection because that's what we've been conditioned. Unless you go get a foot rub or a pedicure, that's the most that people are actually connecting to it. But it's still external things rubbing on your feet rather than you actually mm. being able to support it. So. <laughs> Um, and I think one of the easiest ways that we could start getting back to this one, being in a pandemic, hopefully you're not wearing shoes around your house, right? So hopefully we start to see better feet coming out of this. People at home more. It's a good show. Hopefully they're not. I mean, some people wear shoes at home though, because they're so not used to being out of shoes. And that's how reliant we yeah. are sometimes on these external sources we need to get back to this internal control. And so one of the things that I like to recommend is like, as soon as you get home, take off your shoes, take your socks and interlace them behind between your toes. And not so like you're squeezing your toes, but like open up the sock and kind of, so that you're, you're getting that passive uh, stretch first. And you don't, you can get yogi toes. You can get like all these other tools. I use socks, like it's free. It's on your feet already. Just put it between your toes and hang out there for five to 10 minutes every night. How easy could that be? And it seriously feels so much better. And then once you start to use like, okay, can I spread my toes? Can I move one toe and then the other? And you start to work into these exercises, it's going to, you're going to have a lot better feedback because you were actually talking to the muscles first by even just getting them to passively open up and stretch. And, you know, yes, we can say bunions are genetically, driven based on, you know, family history. And, you know, my mom has a bunion and I don't, I mean, right now I don't have any forming and I've been taking really good care of my feet. So I do think there's an opportunity. You don't have to rely on genetics. You just have to rely on you. Yeah. Jack, I went for a pedicure once, but they kicked him out when he took his socks off. Is it not touching them? 
Look like a pack of sausages. It was that pinky toe, wasn't it? <laughs> we, we, all, we all know. I ain't even been for a haircut, let alone if we've been pedicure. <laughs> you get a discount, Jacko, because effectively you've only got four toes. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, amazing. One of the, my last point on that one is a funny one, though. Like we've uh, Just as a story, I had to have a conversation with my childminder this week because um, like I, I took Jack down. I was like, he took his shoes and socks off. And I said, I know that when they go out in the garden, she's often like, oh, okay, put your shoes on, you're going outside. And I was like, let him go around barefoot. Like he had his like these little slip on sandals. And I said, don't, don't, you need to put your shoes on. Don't worry. And when I went to pick him up, she went, she comes to the door and she says, you're not going to recognize your son. I'm so sorry. And he comes out and he's covered in mud. His feet are dirty. He's been in barefoot all day. And I went, that is amazing. I was like, just more <laughs> of that, please. Like I want him to come home looking like he's been running around the dirt all day with no shoes on. But it's just oh, the, cu- the, the culture of it is they're like, you need to you go outside, put your shoes on. And I'm like, no, 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 go outside and get a proper pair of feet. And my last point, like, when I was working in Zanzibar, the guys, and this always used to amaze me, say about like the like natives in the countries where they grew up with bare feet, we would have to use a high cast scuba tanks off the boat and we'd carry them across the rocks on the beach and then up a path onto where the, the truck used to be. And these scuba tanks are empty, like 16 to 18 kilos. And the guys would carry two in each side and they'd walk over what to me were like razors of the coral rocks like barefoot, no problem. It's like literally they got a set of Dunlop tires on the bottom of their feet because they were so strong, so thick skin from just conditioned of like 30 or 40 years of just walking around on, on sharp rocks. And there's me with my Western feet like, oh, ow, oh, ow, <laughs> like with my little sandals <laughs> on. Like, and it's just, I was like, what, what's wrong with me? Like you think you're a strong physical person. Like I can't even walk over like something yeah. which is slightly abrasive. But mm-hmm. stories from my life i'll shut up now i'm going to wrap up i've loved this conversation this is one of one of my favorite yeah, podcasts it's been brilliant oh, this is fun. This keep been going uh, can i ask one last question that might be quite a difficult one to answer but see see where it goes yeah if if someone was wanting to you know a lot of a lot of the people that are within our sort of community are they may have done lots of different training in the past they could be like us and done a contact sport or they could have done you know all sorts of different weightlifting or all sorts of different things where they haven't really been thinking about uh, exercise for longevity or for mobility. And they've got to that point where they're realizing not only do I, I'd like to be able to do a handstand or something quite cool. And that requires me to have good mobility, but actually I'm also really, you know, I'm like, I don't know, I'm, I'm 40 now or I'm, th- you know, however old they think that they, they, however they're old, they think old is starting to be, and they're thinking about longevity and they're going to do so. They're like, I'm going to do something about my mobility. What would be like, the number one or, or two things that somebody either needs to do or not like a mistake not to do. Mm-hmm. What would be like a take home message for people around that? Um, You've said say, consistency already, so yeah, you can't have that. I know. No, I would <laughs> That's say the easy one. One of the biggest mistakes is that we, we look at someone who's already mobile and we say, I'm going to do whatever routine I just saw on Instagram that they do rather than actually knowing if that's needed for your body or if your body can even tolerate that yet. What I hope my dream would be, you know, is that people go, go get assessed, go see a physical therapist or a physiotherapist, I think is what you guys say, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and just pop in, pay for one session to say, I just want you to look at my entire body and tell me where I could not, where I could be neglecting that I need to pay a little bit more attention. Mm. Can you give me one to two exercises per, per spot? And then 
maybe I'll come back and see you in six months. Maybe I'll come back and see you next year, but you're going to be my go-to to, to come back and know that how is my body doing? Like if we went to a therapist once a year and just got a checkup just to see what was happening and so that we could actually gain awareness into our own bodies, that is key. Um, and that's why like with my mobility method, it's like I start with a 23 movement self-assessment because I'm not going to give you a generalized 12 week, you know, mobility plan, unless you know what's happening within your own body, you got to self-assess mm. and that's going to set you up for the best success in the long run. Yeah, that's great. The amount of times that people get in touch with us and say, I've got pain in my shoulder or pain in my back. What should I do? And all the time we're like, go and see a physio, get them to do an mm -hmm. assessment, tell you what's going on. And then you know what you've got to do rather than exactly. us throwing a load of random exercise at you, which might or might not work and yep. you're wasting your time. So just go, yeah. go to the source of the problem, get an assessment and, uh, and get on the proper, proper progressive plan, which is actually going to get you moving to where you want to be. Totally. Amazing. I love the, um, I love just to sort of, I love the the one thing that you've that's come through. And I wrote it down right at the beginning when you when you said you mentioned it there again, like what part of my body or what thing have I been neglecting? And I just yeah, you, you talked a little bit about that as a as a sort of mindset. And I think that that's a a really good take home message for people to start thinking about like what have I been neglecting and therefore going to try, try and do something to help uh, help sort that out. So yeah. no, absolutely. As as Tim just said, I've absolutely loved this conversation. I'm sure. We will get a lot of questions from um, from the listeners. If people have got questions, um, obviously do get in touch. How can they, you know, how can they get in? What's one of the best ways or best ways to sort of find you and get in touch with you if they've got any questions? And maybe we even get you back on for a for a part two. People, I'm sure, would yeah. love to, and they can answer some of those specifically. Um, I mean. The best place to find me is Instagram for sure, DocGenFit. Um, we are posting about twice a week on YouTube as well, so a little bit longer form videos that you can find there, DocGenFit, website DocGenFit, Facebook DocGenFit. <laughs> Everything <laughs> all, DocGenFit. All the places. Um, keeping it simple. If you want to get my attention more, mention me in something because I'll be more apt to be able to see it. There's so many DMs that obviously come through, so I can't answer everyone, but I try to at least get through uh, my mentions every day and see what people are saying. So if you guys share the podcast, you know, take a screenshot. Don't know already. Yeah. Get it out there. I like, <laughs> like it. We yeah. love it when people share the podcast. I, mean, I love exactly. when they see where people listen to it in, my, in their cars, when they're on their phones. That's one of my favorite things when people do it. So definitely, yeah. guys, if you're hearing this, share the podcast. If you listen to it, put a little nice little comment on it and uh, you get a little bit of exposure, get a little bit yeah. of pat on the back. Yeah. Cool. So we'll yeah we'll put uh, we'll put those we'll put links into to the Instagram, YouTube, and website in the show notes. So even though they are all Dr. Gem Fit, so someone should be able to find that easily. But you can just click on the link below this in the show notes as well. So what a blast that's been, Jen. Thank you so much for giving us your knowledge, your time, and just your energy around moving well and uh, yeah all the stuff that we've talked through. It's been an absolute collection of plethora of knowledge in there for people to go and dive into so we really appreciate that and um got nothing else really to say until apart from until next time class dismissed so thank you so much again for listening we don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts and so we really do appreciate that we hope you got a load of value out of it guys and we would if you did we would love you to do a couple of things for us one of them is tell us other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value and also if you want to pop over to itunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five star review we like five stars four stars not as good keep it five, five are the best five of your best stars please <laughs>
And if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>